Hey guys, welcome to the Back Porch Podcast. I'm Andrew Beam. And I'm Corey Dempsey. So we're here with part two in our series on the top five Every Time I Die songs of all time. Um, the last episode we covered our number fives, our number fours. So this one you're going to hear three, two, one. We're going to be joined again, well, continue to be joined by, I guess you should say, with Mike Pellegrino from Late Waves. And... Again, we're doing this, and the reason why we're splitting into episodes and also releasing it now is because they, every time I died, released two new songs last week, Desperate Pleasures, A Colossal Wreck. Of course, we believe they're part of some sort of album that, I guess, Keith Buckley recently said in an interview that will be released, I think, when they can tour again. So that might be for some time, but... What I am curious about, Corey, is after having, you know, about a week now with those two new songs, how are we feeling about them? Overall, I feel great. I mean, I've spent a lot of time listening to those tracks. Um, My daily walks with my dog pretty much consistently start off with a playing of those two songs. Um, You know, I... I like both of them a lot. I think Colossal Wreck is pretty much in the same vein of a lot of the things that we've gotten in the past. There's nothing too special about that song to me. I I, I like it a lot. I have no problems with it. But Desperate Desperate Pleasures, that one stands out to me. It's got a little more depth to it, I feel like. I think so, too. And I think that... The way that they open up with the kind of almost like chanting, which is like something a, different. Like a mantra roll at your God, these are desperate times. Talk yeah. to your mother, these are desperate times. That gives me, that's starting to give me chills actually because it makes me like, oh yeah. Yeah. And I we love are the, in some weird times. I love the bass in that and I love the bass tone in that. And then, you know, it's got some killer lines. I really, really like the one where he says a liar's a liar take him at his word for ever rebelling against the absurd i really dig that um i think it's very pointed um at a particular individual and i also absolutely love the ending breakdown you know in the in these episodes brutal yeah we we talk about every time i die in their classic breakdowns this is very much an old school breakdown just dissonance and palm muting but that line, uh, hey, look on the bright side, there's no place but up but from a canyon in hell, I, I, I don't think there's a perfect, more perfect line that can kind of encapsulate where we're at. <laughs> yeah, I also, too, really enjoy, and I, I actually connect with this a lot. I don't, I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I, I've been doing the whole listening to the song and someone finally got it up on Genius Lyrics, uh, the line... You got an atheist praying for Judgment Day, which it's like in terms of like to put in a song like desperate. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of reached that point where I'm just like something, something for these guys to be held accountable. I don't know. So, yeah. uh, Anyways, those two songs got us real excited for whatever is coming next with these guys. Hopefully you guys enjoy the rest of our of our list that we have coming out. And again, please, we really want to hear from you in terms of where you think some songs fall in your top five. So hope you guys enjoy the episode.
my number three is from that record uh from parts unknown my pick is if there's room to move things move so brutal (laughs) (laughs) it is such a brutal record and you know that's kind of the, the there's a, a couple big picture thoughts I had here, but one of the main ones is that this album and this song was produced by Kurt Ballou, who is the guitarist and producer from the band Converge. And that band is phenomenal, phenomenal um, and super brutal and a huge influence on every time I die. And I think in that, the fact that Kurt did produce this record really shows up a lot in the way that this album comes across. And I think it does so in a couple of ways. One way is a quote that Keith had in an interview with blabbermouth.net, which I realize is a ridiculous name for a journalism (laughs) source, but (laughs) somehow they have these stories, man. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, it was an interview that he gave. So he said it was stressful in the best way. Like when your dad comes to watch you play baseball for the first time and you just want to make him proud. (laughs) <laughs> and so I think in that way, it encapsul- encapsulates, you know, pretty perfectly because they, they really fucking brought it on this record. Like, hey, we're working with Kurt on this. We really need to fucking bring it. Um, there's <laughs> Yeah, they, they needed to impress daddy. Yeah, they need to impress. We need to impress dad right now. And the second time <laughs> or the, the second thing is that, you know, a lot of people describe converges music and the record that Kurt produces as you know urgent and brutal and all those things come out on this record and at least for me on this song in particular because it's so incredibly chaotic and brutal yeah that that transition no it's right it's when i wonder how they remember that (laughs) <laughs> it's when they're powering down for me though dun, 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 dun. and then yeah, <laughs> it just goes yeah, into yeah. like an absurd riff as well i like I, I just this song is this was up there for me too like this is one that was in consideration for me and the i mean the lyrics too i think that was that, that's another thing too that i think is really good about this especially the opening of it yeah for sure and you know it's a weird thing about this record and in kind of going back it's something that Keith said, and he he talked about how this record is actually quite a hopeful record. Mm-hmm. Um, in the aftermath of X Lives, he said he was super depressed, and the lyrics for that album were really, really fucking dark. And he was talking about how he's just kind of in a better place when they were writing for Parts Unknown. And kind of when you look at it... Well, except for more is what I was going to say. Yeah. and But when you look at it on the surface level, it's kind of hard to see that hopefulness but when you look a little deeper it actually is kind of oddly it's it's weirdly hopeful it's as optimistic as he can possibly get (laughs) and so you know my my lyric that i wanted to point out is we opened the box and looked inside two animals one is dead one's alive all we think we know is always wrong the heavens heavens fell in a thick awful shroud that covered the earth but there wasn't a sound Nobody saw it, so nobody heard it. All these equations won't solve the uncertain. So there's a couple things with this, with this lyric that... There's a lot to unpack with that one. Yeah, I feel like there is a lot to unpack. And the first one is a reference to Schrodinger's cat. 
Schrodinger's cat is a famous thought experiment with two cat or a cat in a bunker. And it has basically a 50% chance of living and a 50% chance of dying. It's a whole thought experiment about quantum equations and mechanics. And, you know, as a scientist, former science teacher, that, that really speaks to me. I like that you keep calling yourself a scientist. I think I am. And I teach science to the youth of America. Uh, or did. Anyway. did, did. <laughs> but that lyric really speaks to me. And it goes back to that idea of like, who else are you going to get that from? Mm-hmm. Who else are you going to get a Schrodinger's cat reference? And then he comes off with the next lyric when he's talking about, you know, the heavens fell and there wasn't a sound. And that kind of goes to that thought experiment about a tree falls in the woods, but no one's there to hear it. Is there a sound? And so there's a lot of philosophical ponderings within those first two lyrics that you don't get a lot in hardcore music and really a lot of punk music that I feel like is really, really great. And then at the same time, it's really hopeful and in a weird way, you kind of look at it. It's like, this is a really deep, intense song. But at the same time, we spend so much time worrying and trying to attach meaning to all these things. And, you know, that last part where he's just kind of saying nobody saw it and nobody heard it. All these equations won't solve the uncertain. In the end, what I think he's really trying to say is like, we need to stop getting wrapped up in all of these philosophical and religious yada yada yadas that causes us so much stress anxiety and just live and really enjoy the moment so like on on the surface it doesn't always seem hopeful but it is kind of like a personal reckoning and a hopeful in that way i think yeah my my favorite lyric is love it as it is whatever the fuck this is yeah that kind of like sums up kind of what you're saying because I also just love that too, where it isn't the song. Yeah. I just feel like it fits perfectly, like it, because it's just the way he hits the word "fuck" on that too. It's just like, oh, all right, like it just catches yeah, your attention. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And you know that that does lead me to the riff, and you know the riff is it shows up twice, or it shows up really continuously, but twice in the song, and it's exactly that part where. It starts at a one minute and 15 seconds and then goes to about 147. And it's the riff in the background where Keith sings, we toil and we rot and terrible things happen just like I thought. And it's, you know, I was trying to catch the timing while I was listening. I was like, yeah, I can't. Yeah, I I can't chord, but I can't catch the timing at all. (laughs) It's so fucking crazy. And they do. Yeah. That's the other thing is that they're just, they are just that good too. And the, the cool thing and I'll stop trying to mouth guitar it because it's not really working. But no. the cool thing I found about this riff is it goes through that first part and then it stops it. And, you know, Kurt, the producer puts a little phaser on the guitar and he phases it out and it goes. Wow. And then like the it's powering yeah. down a fucking robot. Right. And then the riff comes right back in. But this time it's just slightly different because now the drums aren't in a power beat. Now the drums are in more of an open kind of breakdown type of beat, just letting the guitar really do the work. And then in that second part, he's going, love it as it is, whatever the fuck this is, or destroy it and start again. What we are is in your head. And that riff just has such a wonderful groove to it. And this is where where I was going to bring up that Andy Jordan thing. I feel like this is another example of an Andy riff because Mm -hmm. it has that vibe and that groove to the riff. Yeah, that one I feel like it could just get you get get the room bouncing like in a way. It just, yeah, just has such an up and down feel to it, which is like so, it's just so good. That, that, like I said, the timing, which is like, I also think about how they do this live and like how much fun they have live. 
just like I, I mean i always knew that they're phenomenal musicians this, kind of, this is more encompassing up to this point like how he remembers seeing those words at those weird times and how to from every because every song has these weird time signatures and the riffs and i just have a hard time remembering the <laughs> 10 songs i have that are basically the same song just in different keys <laughs> This is more just an appreciation to just them as musicians. Yeah. yeah, this song definitely. They're they're incredible. And then for my breakdown, um, this breakdown shows up twice in the song. It shows up at thirty-one seconds, and then it ends it. And it's really simple. It's really powerful. And I think it kind of the lyrics at least boiled down what this song is really about. And it's the one where he's saying, you know, everything's dead until it's alive. Man will exist and then he will die. Just take the ride. And again, while that seems on the surface like a really bleak lyric, it's also at the same time, you know, hopeful. Like, listen, this is what it is. Stop worrying about it so much. Live your life so that you can make the most out of this. I think it sounds bleak because he's shouting at me. <laughs> like, like, I'm just like, all right, man. Just, I will. All right. Thank you. <laughs> I will take the ride. Thank you for suggesting that. So, Beam, what's, what's your number three? My number three is Corey's number two. But his number, he has a tie at number two. So, <laughs> my number three and Corey's... Do I give it a full number two? Like, is it a half number two or is it like? So first of all, I just want to say that. Yeah. Uh-huh. This is, this is our podcast and <laughs> rules are meant to be broken. So if I want to have a tie, I'm going to have a tie. And so, yes, this is half of my number two and it's in concert with another song. You should eat, you should eat more fiber if you're only <laughs> doing half number twos. <laughs> We don't, we don't need to get into his number twos. So, but I mean, I, I, all right. Go ahead. So I work within these rules too. I'm trying to like follow them. Fair enough. You're over here making them and breaking them. Yeah, I get it. There there are rules, but number three, Corey's number two kind of is map change. Okay, so that was my number three, Corey's quasi number two, mm-hmm. map change, or some really generic elevator music with a really sweet bass line. Like, seriously, just like <laughs> give a close listen to that bass line. It, it goes off every now and again. It's really cool. I, I believe I believe Corey and I are both in agreement on this. Um, Corey has mentioned it before. And after listening to it, I, I have to agree with him. This it, it, it contains one of the, the the best riffs written by was it Jordan, right? I believe that was that was on this one. Jordan's definitely the one who plays it live, so right. I assume it's his riff. Uh, Either way, it's it's one of the best riffs ever contained in an every time that I saw. Again, objectively, probably one of the best. Not my favorite, but it's objectively one of the best. For some reason, there's something about that riff where it 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 has sort of that dissonance that sort of carries like the emotional weight of what this song is about, and it it feels very tied into. I mean, the whole album really is obviously tied into um, the birth of of Keith Buckley's daughter that brought both complications, not only for his daughter but for his wife as well. 
the one that had to make him rush back to Buffalo when they were on tour in Toronto, which I, I remember like watching that happen out on social media and it was fucking crazy just to sort of to know that was happening. And for sure. And I think the the record also deals a lot with how Keith had to give up alcohol during that time because right. he he had to be on call with the hospital. He had so to be he, sharp. he couldn't be all fucked up and then he gets a call and he can't drive to the hospital. So you know, I think it also deals a lot with his his substance reliance. It was when he played live. I, I like I saw him in in Burlington, Vermont, yeah. where like he was sober and he noted how weird it was. Right, and you know, I don't I don't want to speak for him, but he said a lot in his interviews that like he's someone who likes to drink and likes to party, but he couldn't do that. And I think this is a record a lot about dealing with that and about dealing with how when you numb your feelings for so long, but you can no longer kind of rely on that and you just have to sit and feel all of the things. And this is a lot of fucking shit to feel when dealing with this tragic incident with your wife and unborn child. It's like, I'm the man who sank Atlantis. The bottom is not the lowest we get get is just, it's so poignant. It's just, you can feel that. Because it's sort of letting you know, like, hey, you might feel like shit, but it can get worse. And which is a lot of that that plays out on this album. And I also think, too, that in terms of talking about that, like, just what he was experiencing at the time, he said uh, in one interview, there are are many versions of reality as there are people to experience it. Do not expect anyone to suffer the horrors of yours with you no matter how far your grief extends it is yours alone and i think that is also kind of a great way of just saying like listen you're going through this this is you like as much as people can help you like you gotta figure this shit out and i think this song also like really perfectly sort of captures that as well i guess i'll kind of go into the lyric too is that the one that always stood out for me And this is just for whatever personal, anyone that's going through any sort of anxiety or struggles or just whatever stress that you might be going through, any sort of difficulties, you know, this lyric particularly was able to resonate with me. I assure you that hell is not a myth. We both vacation there. And then hell is not a myth. We spend each winter there. No one can prepare. So it had sort of, it obviously has a bit of a double meaning, at least for me, where it's, you know, it, it, things can get this bad kind of thing is sort of the way that I see that lyric. But you but, can never, ever prepare for it. Right. There's nothing you can do except feel it when it comes into that moment. And you have to handle it. And the other thing, too, that I think is interesting is that I fucking love the city of Buffalo. I love it with all my heart. Uh, and I love everything that, that I was born there. There for six months. Clifton Park was was where I was raised, really. But I don't know. Buffalo just sort of speaks to me. And. You know, when he says, you know, we spend each winter there, it's it's speaking to just sort of the, the fucking bitter coldness. You're going through all of this shit and it is cold as hell like that. That adds another element to it. And Buffalo and, in winter is a fucking hellscape. And yeah, but know. it's so wonderful. Oh, I love I love, you love it for it almost in a way, but it, it, it does carry that to it. And, the, and, and and the video, the song itself, it just is. Is just a wonderful ode to, to to Buffalo, but also like encompassing the darkness of it. But you wear that almost as a badge of honor there. Yeah, for sure. And you know, I picked a I picked a lyric in a similar vein. I think you identified how this song really is about being in a pit of despair, 
and not really being able to prepare for it and having to deal with it the best you can. So the one I picked out was the glory I'd witnessed was just a sleight of hand. Yeah. These hearts cannot be salvaged. These bones cannot withstand. I've either been forgotten. I was never seen. Now I'm in the negative space between. And, you know, obviously that lyric and the pit of despair ideas are tied to Keith going through this situation with his wife and child. And while I have never gone through that and nor have you, Mm. At the same time, you can identify it with with it and that feelings that are attached to it because it's what everyone really feels whenever you're going through some kind of tragic situation. And so like any great lyric, you know, the lyrics in these songs extend beyond the actual context of the lyric itself and really allow it to resonate with, you know, the other people and what they might be going through. Mike, I know this is one of your if not your favorite every time I die song. So I'm interested to hear, hear your thoughts. Listening to you guys has definitely shed some light on it. Um, to go with riff and lyrics, that, that also is my favorite part. The, uh, I assure you that hell is not a myth. And the fact that they do a rack from the snare before the drop is very, very sick. Going along with like the meaning behind the song, especially the no one can prepare aspect. It it does, you know, encapsulate a lot of the things about anxiety that people that don't suffer from it probably don't understand is that you're aware that things could get terrible at any moment, but no matter what, you can't prepare for it. And, you know, that in itself causes anxiety. But the reason I love this song so much is because it makes you feel better. Because whenever I hear anyone really talking about anxiety or things or going through a horrible situation, it's kind of comforting. I don't get depressed at all when I listen to the song, even though it's a heavy song lyrically. It's because, you know, someone's going through it. Someone's lived to write about it and write so eloquently as this. It's it's weird too. So we're talking about how parts of from parts unknown or hopeful. Or no, that it was meant to be a hopeful record. But as you yeah. said, like this song, it does and it might be too, like just some of the music itself that gives it that vibe, you know, that that ending part where it's like almost sort of like a much like how it's just sort of building up at the end there. It almost feels triumphant while the lyrics are super yeah. bleak. The song itself sounds like it's it's like you said, he got through us. He lived to write about it kind of thing. But also, too, it's hopeful in the sense of like, yeah, shit gets bad, but, you know, you can turn it around and yeah, I mean, there's also someone else that, you know, it also too, like for me, listening to different podcasts, like for me, it's like connecting with something like Mark Maron's WTF, where it's like someone else is going through this too. You're not alone in that situation. Yeah. And I think that's a really good, whether he meant to kind of, kind of put that out there, it's, it's a good reminder. Yeah. And I mean, he, while it was a tragic situation, he ended up with a beautiful baby girl out of it. So like, I think there is a hopefulness to it in that, you know, yes, here's this dark, tragic situation. I'm going to write about it. But we always have to keep in mind that, you know, we as a people, as human beings are resilient and we're able to make it through these things. And I think it's so kind of mature of him to, and it, it reflects his age and his wisdom that he's gained over all these years in writing about that now. And I think it's, it's certainly, you know, use this word before. It's certainly one of his most poignant songs. It just—it's a culmination of just like 
a guy who is always able to write really good lyrics, you were able to put some serious meat. You were able to do it to give it some serious purpose. So in terms of the breakdown, like we said, the I know I said my lyric with that too, but kind of going back to the lyrics giving that weight to the breakdown, the I assure you that hell is not a myth, the part right at the minute 42 mark, it just like, you know, I assure you, lets it hang for a second and then goes right into this incredibly gnarly breakdown. Awesome double bass, really good heavy finger tapping. Like it just, it is wonderful for me. It's a harrowing lyric and the music itself also lends it to self that. But to me, it just comes out to this, this beautiful breakdown. When I first heard it, I thought it was done getting lyrics tattooed on me because I like, <laughs> everyone else that grew up in that scene has right. a bunch of fucking lyrics tattooed all over them. I was like, ah, oh, God damn it. I'm going to have to get one more. I'm clean, motherfucker. So I got nothing on me. I got nothing. Oh, damn. <laughs> no, for sure. And Beam, what you mentioned about how the music kind of fits it perfectly, you know, Keith isn't referring to any sort of religious hell. He's referring to this pit of despair and grief. And I feel like that breakdown kind of does a really good job of taking you there and how that grief and despair can feel chaotic. And I, th- I feel like the music kind of fits that perfectly. It's putting the chaos and giving meaning to it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So that was also my breakdown and the riff, the riff we already discussed. It, that riff is so fucking good. Yeah. I just, it, it sounds, it sounds like evil too, but not in the way that you imagine, imagine like it's bleak. Like, yeah. It's like classic, classily done evil but it's the thing is is like it's a standout not for just how good it is to me but also how incredibly unique it is for them as a band they don't they don't they don't write shit like that no it's yeah i I do think it represents the evolution of them as musicians and as artists and as songwriters like you said it's it's like nothing they've ever done before and it is such a meaningful bleak lyric within the context or sorry riff within the context of the song and it is so it's so emotionally resonant and i think there's this video online where it's like the last warp tour and (laughs) jordan buckley sits on stage alone playing this riff for nine minutes the last warp tour the last it's the last warp tour yeah and i think it's the the riff carries oh, so much emotional resonance just in the music and to kind of close out warp tour with a nine minute playing of that riff alone on stage as they're shutting off all the equipment around you it's yeah. it's on the one hand so epic and so badass but also really appropriate in in what the what the riff kind of conveys emotionally jordan also was just trying to get it so they played the last note <laughs> It's every time I die being every time I die and they're fucking hooligans and <laughs> he's just trying to get the last note played. But like whether it was him just trying to be a fucking goofball or not, like it was there was something about it that was more than just silly. For sure. You know, I want to go into kind of the second half of my number two. And I do promise that. Of course. I know I cheated. I'm sorry for that. You're but not, you're there, not sorry. There's you're, a, you're sorry. You're not sorry about this. There's a reason that I decided to do it. And I think it's because, well, it it goes into a little bit of what you were just saying, Beam, about, you know, at the end of the day, every time I die are just a bunch of 
hooligans kind of looking to have a good time. And so I think that just juxtaposition of their evolution exists on this record, Low Teens, so well, where you have a song like Map Change, which represents so much about their evolution as songwriters, as musicians, as lyricists, in that they can feel something and write something that's so deeply emotionally resonant. But at the same time, they have a song on there that represents this kind of hooliganism and wanting to have a good time in a track like The Coin Has a Say. So we already talked a lot about it, but, you know, everything I want to say kind of goes into this context of the juxtaposition that every time I die is on this record and the evolution they've gone through. So, you know, the lyric that I picked out is from that ending breakdown. And Mm -hmm. so that's also my breakdown and it goes a little back a little bit further, but it's a new goddess emerged from the mist and took the blade from my wrist. Don't blink back out. I will aimlessly wander this wasteland guided only by a sickness, not a purpose. I can't go back to what I was. Metallica without the <laughs> drugs, a faith healer without the plant. There's no home for a hollow man. A little bit of what I'm talking about in terms of it's a throwback song with all the ET every time I die tropes, you know, it has all these things. But when you look at it a little bit deeper and you take it within the context of what the album's about, he's really talking about trying to be a better man for the sake of his daughter. You know, with that, you have the new goddess emerged from the mist and that's his daughter. And he can't be the same empty man looking to fill his days with drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. and parties. You know, he can't be that anymore. So while it is a lyric that does represent so much of what every time I die has always been around about. And the song is so much about that. It has such a deeper contextual meaning because of what this album and this record's really about. The, the goddess from the Miss lyric too. It's just, he's fucking, he's a poet. He really is. He's a goddamn poet. Mikey, where are you at on this? This song, I remember, cause I'm, I'm right there with you on uh, your lyrics being my favorite, Corey. But, um, funny story about this song. When it came out, it came out with a coinciding music video, which did a really good job just cap- like yeah. capturing what it's like to be at an Every Time I Die show. It's just <laughs> full on chaos. Dude, I was going to uh, share this. You you sent me the video the day it came out, and it was the first time I had heard the song or seen the video. And I was yeah. like, holy shit, they're fucking back. It's such a hilarious well, video, too. When I saw a video, um, I was actually, I'm not going to not, I'm going to sound like a dickhead here a little bit. I was out in LA recording with another band and they're writing, they're kind of doing this like really cool, like new wave pop thing that I was into. And there was talks of like, Hey, maybe you could be like our full-time guitarist and stuff. And I was like highly considering it. I wasn't late wave set and started yet. And I was like, well, it's pretty cool. We're out in LA recording a record. This is kind of the shit I want to do. So another you know, this be fun. And then, uh, yeah, dude. <laughs> but I saw like, like on a break that this came out and I like just put on my headphones real quick in the middle of like recording a song in that studio and watched this video and listened to this song. And then I took my headphones off and heard the stuff I was working on. And I was like, I, 
I gotta stay with the rock, dude. I can't, I can't leave this, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think it's that breakdown that really does it, and not just the oh, lyrics, yeah. but yeah. like, you know, we talked about the deeper meaning with those lyrics. But if you strip all that away and you just listen to that, that is a badass fucking bone crunching breakdown. Oh, it's yeah. hard. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a it's a song that inspires you to want to play rock music. Yeah, it, ri- it rips live too. Like I remember seeing it live, I was like, oh, shit. oh my god! <laughs> it's like this is, yeah. bottom's about to drop out. The riffs, and I know this isn't a riff, so maybe I'm cheating again. But oh, it's a guitar solo. Every time I it's die a, is not really a guitar solo type band, but this not to isolate solo, it, not to isolate it. Like all the riffs could be guitar solos, but not isolated yeah. like this. Yeah, where it's just like, hey, we're setting up a guitar solo, and one of the interesting things it's that like he I should found perf- like like all of a sudden appear on like a flotation device out of water, <laughs> and then just rip. It the sounds like a Harley just starting <laughs> up. <laughs> it's so sick. Yeah, and one of the one of the interesting things I found is right before they go into the solo, um, Keith sings "It's the First Night in Town," and I think that's probably a callback to their first record. Yeah, that was written when they were really young, and the guitar solo feels a bit like a younger self that's still inside of you, mm. saying like, "Hey, fuck it, let's let's fucking party." And then the solo ends, and he sings "Rain Comes Down, Bridge Goes Out," the same way it always did which I think is probably like the aftermath of the party thing. Like, you know, we fucking did it, but now I'm hung over as shit. And it's like an old man, which he talks about a lot. Yeah. too. It's just like, you can't, you can't drink like you did because it fucking, and we when, experienced that this past weekend. When, when you wake up the next morning, it's just like, why the fuck did I do that? And I think, and again, it, it just goes to that deeper context. I feel like everything in the song has such a deeper context because it's like, man, I really wish I could go out and party like I used to, but like I have so much responsibility now. Shouldn't even been drinking what I'm drinking now. I know. And, and you know, I hate to, Mike's over here drinking fucking seltzers. Oh, my third. Good for, good for Mike. He's so much more responsible than us. No, I think I don't want to do the whole put on the nerdy glasses and like break down it. We're nerding out of this whole fucking episode is about nerding out about every time I die. I know, Why are you all of a sudden gonna be like, oh, I don't know, I don't. I'm gonna be self conscious about it now. Well, I fear I feel weird about it with the song that feels such like a badass, straightforward rocker. But at the same time, like it's impossible not to, given the context of the record. So like, I'm like, oh, okay, well, can't we just enjoy it? But you know, I, and I've said this before. It's so much better when you can enjoy a song for its surface level qualities and how badass it is and the guitar solo and the badass breakdown and all these things. But like when you look at it more deeply, it works on so many levels. And that's why I really love the coin as a say. And I felt like I couldn't leave it out because it represents such an evolution for the band that kind of culminates with map change, which Mm -hmm. I think is the most mature, fully realized song that they've ever done. So that's why I had a tie. Hey man, whatever tickles your grundle. Ew. <laughs> We're cutting that because that's a gross line. <laughs> and so I do believe that brings us to your number two. Yeah. So my number two. Now I feel like I'm quoting Austin Powers when I'm saying it like that. But my my number two is um 
I so my favorite album is from Parts Unknown. Easily. And this song in particular just <laughs> man. I don't know. It brings everything to another level for me. So uh my number two, right off of From Parts Unknown, last track on the CD, minus the bonus tracks, because I know that exists online, but is idiot. <laughs> that was idiot so the fact that this whole the whole point of this record was to scare the shit out of people as we mentioned before and i also love too from parts unknown hearkening back to what they would talk about some wrestlers huge wrestling fans so i love the fact that they're trying to tie that in i don't know everything about this record i fucking love like from the beginning of it with the great secret where you have keith buckley just fucking screaming at you blow your fucking brains out and then it goes all the way down to this viciously brutal song called Idiot. Uh, from front to back, like, I just fucking love that album so much. And, and 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 it slowly became my favorite because obviously, you know, Hot Damn is up there. Like, let's be honest, it, it is completely up there. But the way this song starts out, it is just a lightning fast with the hammer-on riffs, these pull-off riffs that go into this, like, you know, it starts out that way. And then this completely just sort of concussive drum beat that just comes in real quick afterwards. I just, I, I everything, I love that part about it. Just this really fast sort of like hardcore punk sound to it. And then you get into where it slows down, but it's still got that river like, and then he just breaks in screaming paralyzed for what feels like 30 seconds. I mean, I know it's not that, but it's a scream that like, I, I think what you, you see in Kurt Blue, like in the, in the video when they're recording this, he goes, just do like a long extended scream over that. And you just see Keith Buckley like, oh, oh, okay. And then just does it. And it's like, even Jordan Buckley at the end of it is like, oh shit. It's, it's a remarkable, <laughs> it's a remarkable yeah. thing that he does. And that scream is so fucking blood curdling where he screams paralyzed like that and holds it for so long. And, it goes into a sick breakdown. Oh, dude, the, what follows that? That riff. So that actually <laughs> yeah. is like, like the opening riff of that is 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 probably one of my favorite of the songs. Just or just of like what they've made, just because it's just it's so fast and it's just like, all right, let's get over with this fuck shit. Let's 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 do this and just get super heavy, super fast. But when he's screaming paralyzed, and then at the end of that, where he just goes. Uh, yeah, exactly what you were saying. When it goes into that crazy breakdown, like just like it just has that really dope groove to it, and where they flow into each other, it's so well. Where, yeah, that 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 is like the beginning riff is great, but I think that riff is probably my favorite right there. Is what you're talking about, Mike? Um, it's just so good. Yeah, and then they bring it back for "Throw Me a Rope" in a weird way, yeah, but yeah. they like kind of switch the drum beat around, so it's a whole new breakdown for that part. Dude, it's, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like you said, they start blending in breakdowns and just like, you don't know what's a breakdown, but you know, like in normal terms of any other band, like this is a breakdown, but they just, Keith is able to like, I think, you know, very artfully able to like do something over a lot of what would be just breakdowns, which you don't have too much lyrical content. And then uh, it's hard to pick the breakdowns in this because there's a couple of them that are just so good. Like the one at, at a minute 31 where he's just like, the edges are made out of stone. There's just something about that. 
because it has so much space to it. It's like the edges are made out of stone and then break and then you just hear the gunshot of the snare drum. And like in between that, I know it's just sort of some sort of like delay pedal that whoever has going on with their with their guitar, but it just hangs there in the air for a bit, which then you get jolted out by sort of that gunshot of the snare. But like when you when I say they're hanging there, like I'm literally thinking of someone hanging by chains because that this song feels so dark that I just feel of someone who's just been caught by like what a fucking motorcycle game and they're just being like tortured and hung by a chain. But like it, it just it, for some reason it creates that imagery and it just feels so fucking badass. But no doubt at the end, which actually contains my favorite Keith Buckley lyric, one of my favorite Keith Buckley lyrics of all time, um, comes in in the minute two, uh, two minutes and twenty nine seconds, where it just sounds like a buzzsaw again. That same sort of reference going through years where he's just saying, all I want is for everyone to go to hell. It's the last place I was seen before I lost myself. All I want is for everyone to come to hell. There we can be free and to learn to love ourselves. And it now I, I fucking love that lyric for a lot of reasons because raised as a Catholic and I guess you would say former Catholic, you know, it, it brings sort of that I, I mean obvious religious imagery to 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 my head. But in terms of going to that hopefulness that we were kind of talking about before, and like you said, everyone gets so anxious about sort of whatever religious philosophies that people are attached to whatever even imperfections that we may have we can still learn to love ourselves sort of in that way and and i like that it's sort of it's not a middle finger to religion per se or maybe i guess you could say it definitely is but it's almost in defiance where it's like i don't need to hold myself up to these standards i'm just trying to fucking live yeah and not to not to go all last podcast on the left on everyone but i do think it's very satanist in that way and not satanist like satan the devil like satanism the religion that was founded right about just kind of being free and you know doing what makes free you of judgment happy. right free of judgment doing what makes you happy and you know i'm not saying do whatever you want like do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt anyone as long as it doesn't hurt anyone you're doing great don't let anyone guilt you. Don't let anyone judge you from anything. Don't think you have the judging eyes of God over you. Yeah, that's going to, you know, that yeah. doesn't help anyone. It doesn't no. make you live a good life. Like you have to have some kind of moral compass, but it doesn't need to be governed by any sort of religious entity. Yeah. And that's a good point as well. I think like you were saying, it's not so much a middle finger to religion. Um, I'm the same way. Like I grew up having to go to church and stuff and I have an Irish family. Felt cult like, so right? the Irish, yeah that and the the irish catholic guilt is like something that like if anyone experienced it they know how much that looms and that like lyric uh has the double entendre of like being shocking but also being like fuck this shit like if hell's where i need to be free then like fine let's all go to hell and like just be ourselves (laughs) it has a weird hopefulness to it yeah it just it has that weird like listen this isn't it this isn't how you have to be like whether he's trying to do that or not, that's sort of what I think about it. But I mean, at the end of the day, one of my favorite quotes that he said about this, it's one of those interviews where he did where it's like you go track by track. (laughs) It's a song called Idiot. And he literally just goes, it's about me. I'm the idiot. Like that's, that's (laughs) which is what I think is sort of like the most hilarious part about it. But again, you're, you think you're such an idiot because of these flaws. And yeah, it's just, it's, I love the fucking song in general. This again, his screams are just like, but it's Keith Buckley. 
and it and it has it's comforting in a way. It's comfort food, sort of in a way. So it's number one time, and our number one is a shared number one. Yeah, it is. Mike, given everything that we've talked about so far, and given what's not on this list, do you have a guess? I'm curious. I'm gonna guess a bowl of ramen. <laughs> oh, there he is. There he is. You kind of, you kind of, uh, you didn't bury the lead because you were talking about screaming it at at your wedding. So. Uh, I mean, it's also too like it's not on the list also, at all. Like, oh, what are you doing? I was gonna say maybe floater, but when I heard that. Yeah, no, um, it's got to be a Bolarama. It 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 means so great much. Number one, yeah, it means so much. It is the number one. I think I, so. like it's the like if you listen to every time I die, I don't care when you fucking started listening. You listen to Gutter Phenom. That's how you started. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's 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 the number one song. Agreed. So uh, strap on your. Your roller blades, no roller skates. Roller skates. Roller skates, because blades, it's those are in line. Listen to a bolorama or the elevator music, but I'll listen to a bolorama. So, like we said, you know, a bolorama feels like the obvious number one for an every time I die list. Hope you didn't skin your knees on that. Roller blading, roller skating, floor surface. I'm sorry, I'm making way too many references to the music video. Music video is really dynamite as well. And, <laughs> you know, I think all the big picture thoughts we've kind of talked about already. You know, I don't think. I'm sorry, but like, yes, I think so. But this is like the ultimate party song that denigrates partying. Yeah. That, that I feel to me is the big picture of it. For sure, of the song itself, I think of the record Hot Damn, oh. I think there's a couple things that, like we said, you know, probably not objectively their best record, but I think it's the most important record because it establishes so much about what Every Time I Die is. You know, for us personally, um, speaking for being myself, this and Bless the Martyr, Kiss the Child by Norma Jean are the two records that really opened our eyes to the possibilities of hardcore music and what it could really offer. Like it's not just a bunch of noise and screamed lyrics. It, it there's so much more to it than that. So I think this record and this song um, did a lot for that, you know, being mentioned before the, the Southern vibe, so many bands copied afterwards, like he is legend and mailing and the sons of disaster and, to not particularly great effects all bands that are actually from the south and yet it's a band from buffalo new york (laughs) that got it the most right but i think there's a reason why every time i die is the one that we're talking about and not any of these other bands because i think every time i die in this record specifically was just like hey this is who we are this is what we do and we're here to stay and this song is the best representation of that this riff like not to just go to like I mean it's it's the riff that goes throughout the entire fucking song anyways. Yep. But like this riff is the most to me personally the most iconic every time I die riff that exists. I mean it this 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 defines them in in a lot of ways and it's one that gets you moving. It's one that gets you just like jumping up and down, moshing whatever the fuck you're gonna do. But like I just, there's just so many quotes that you can grab onto. I just. 
No. This this is this is every time I die. And to go with the riff and Mike, it's something that you talked about. They do such a great job of building a song around a riff and then warping it and shifting it and changing the speed of it so many times throughout it that it always seems like something new and different. And that's something that they do perfectly in this song. Yeah, and you guys, I don't know if you did it knowingly, but your your top picks, all the things you talked about, why you love them, it's all in this song as well. Nah, bro. Natural. It's, <laughs> it's all of all of it's like this is the song that has every every part of what you love about all your the previous four or five because of Corey's. Uh, no, I think it's sorry. <laughs> okay. But everything you guys loved about what you picked before, it's. Every every everything is in the song. The song is the the package. Yeah, for sure. And in that way, it's the mission statement of what this band is all about. And it's it's a marker for everything that's to come from them. And so we talked about the riff. What what lyrics stood out for you? This is hard because I feel it's like really it's it's for me chock full of really good lyrics in it. I had one before the squeal life soft music squeal like soft music that was before and what's weird is because i feel like he wouldn't have thought this and again and i'm I'm not trying to speak for him but in terms of just what the lyrical progression was in terms of sort of his later songs so that's why like when i I actually re-listened to today and i kind of made like sort of a you know 12th hour or whatever it is um kind of change to it or 11th hour kind of change to it where i said the lyric for me were locked and loaded drip flat drip fed and bloated our trigger figure snagged in the mousetrap of the moment and the reason why is because when i sort of put it when you put it in that context of just thinking of partying it's it's talking about people truly living in the moment but then the drip fed and bloated it's you're just you're just you're it's an alcohol lunch or whatever it's 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 an alcoholic meal um, but it just feels like it's describing binge, binge drinking in a nutshell, mm-hmm. uh, perfectly. Also, it includes a clap along, yeah. which I think is unique in hardcore, but sure. you know, they, they play it out in the video too. So that's, yeah. that's why that one sticks out to me. And that lyric mousetrap of the moment speaks to that pretty much exactly. Like you get so caught up in what you're doing at the time and that partying and the having a good time that you don't think about the consequences. And, you know, well, often they're not that serious. It's just, you know, a hangover and a bad headache. Sometimes it really Yesterday felt real serious. <laughs> uh, and today, this morning. So I, I picked a slightly different lyric and I went a different direction. I do, I do love what you picked out there. The one I, the one I picked out was not necessarily his best lyrical work, even on this album. I think, you know, She's My Rutchmore, Hit of the Search Party, Romeo Gogo, all mm-hmm. have yeah. absolutely incredible lines in it. But the one I picked was When the Urgency Strikes You, You Better Not Lose Your Nerve. It's the rutch yeah, that the cockroaches said it out loud <laughs> at the end of the world. It's all right. There's a pail by the bed if you need one, but you're doing just fine. <laughs> when in Rome, we shall do as the Romans. And when in hell, we do shots at the bar. And the reason I picked it is because I feel like it's quintessential early Keith Buckley where he takes a Shakespearean line or Shakespearean reference, or in this case, like an old proverb, you know, Ren and Rome, we shall do as the Romans. And he flips it on his head. And, you know, what I feel like he's doing here and what I feel like he did a lot in those early days was like, 
Yeah. I'm classically trained. I'm classically trained as an English major. I was a fucking English teacher. And a writer. And I'm going to flex on you right now. <laughs> and I feel really great about it. Like, go ahead, flex on them. You're, you're, you're smarter than all these dudes. So All of us. Not even dudes, yeah. just us. Every, everyone in the game, everyone who's listening to you, like, flex on them all you want. I, I, I've always dug that. I'm just going to climb on someone's head while you sing that. <laughs> That was my. That's one of my favorites from this song, always. And then, um, oh, we don't we don't think in terms of the morning <laughs> afters, and we don't utter a single word of the night before. Which, like, it's so cool because the way they like say it, it kind of sounds like a. It's an edict. And this is this is before like they were popular, but like the you know like the signs in like white women's kitchens on wood. <laughs> Like, I feel oh, like that like should be one of those. Love? You're talking about live, yeah, laugh, exactly. love? Yeah. Yeah, live, laugh, love shit. But that's, but like, that's the one that we put in our kitchens. It's the one that we yeah. tattooed on Mike's body? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get a transplant for that. Um, <laughs> but, like, yeah, it's, like, so, yeah, like you said before, like, classic, like, early Keith Buckley, just, like, Oh man, that's so fucking cool. I wish I wrote that. <laughs> Dude, we all wish we wrote half the things he wrote. That's yeah, pretty much. That's the way you felt about him all throughout those early years. We're just like, damn, why can't I be that good? Which is going back to the Jesus reference that he makes in the previous song that we discussed. So, yeah. Coin has to say. Every, every single time. And, you know, for the breakdown, what'd you choose, Beam? So. There's the one that comes in at the minute 25 mark, which is served. It's great. It's fucking amazing. But the way I described it is it's really kind of the appetizer for the main one, which is at the end for me. Which is the one that comes in at about 231. 232 is what I had. All right. <laughs> I think we're splitting hairs, but go go ahead. <laughs> it's This is a rock and roll takeover. Dude, like, at shows... And again, this this translates to just them being such an amazing live band. It just feels like you're just you, you've you've been warming up for it at this moment. The whole song is amazing, but you're you've been warming up to this entire moment. You're ready to flood the stage. It makes you almost want to run in place, which sometimes Andy Williams might be doing that already. Which again, huge guy able to run in place while playing guitar and not be completely out of breath. That's amazing. That's an amazing feat. But like, so yeah, it's it just, the payoff at the end is amazing. And you just take the main riff, you slow it down a whole fucking bunch. You give a lot of air in between each note. And it just invites a whole fuck ton of chaos. For sure. And the main thing that I wrote down here, and it's something that I've seen as, as we went back and listened to it and listened to it in this context, I feel like there's something to the way that a a band comes into a breakdown oh, and the lead up as well as like when they announce the breakdown with a lyric and i feel like every time i die are the masters of that if you go back to last night in town the way they come into the breakdown with come on and smile you fuckers or the way that they come into blaspheme and yeah. in this one blows all them out of the water with coming into it with this is a rock and roll takeover <laughs> and it feels like 
there were mercy fucks, there was blood. Yeah, there were mercy fucks, there was blood. Like, oh, you should have been there by my like. It, oh, what a beautiful scene it was. All of it, all of it is just like, hey, if you weren't prepared, this is what rock and roll is all about, and we're about to show it to you. It's not even what this is rock and roll is all about. This is what we're fucking about. Yeah, because this is I'm our sorry, definition of rock and roll. Every time I die is. They're in their own category. Yeah, for sure. They're fucking opening up for Fall Out Boy in Madison Square Garden or whatever, or wherever the... No, not even there. Maybe Key Bank. But, like, it, it just... They have carved out such a niche for themselves. And this song, as you said, Mike, is the epitome of just, like, what this band is. And... God, I fucking love this song so much. <laughs> Same. That's, what, that's what's so funny, like, in, uh, just kind of going back to them and not... Anyone that kind of like this day and age, like in rock bands, or uh, no shit, it was like I think it was like 2019's Billboard Top 10 Rock Songs of the Decade of 2000 to 2020 was so hilarious. There's zero rock bands on it, and they're gonna call like bands like that rock, and then a band like Every Time I Die exists, and that, that like you said to me, they're like they're like a rock and roll band. Yeah. Uh, obviously. That's a very broad genre, especially these days. Like when I think of like the opinion of, of like what an actual like fucking badass rock band is, it's it's just always been. Did you know Nickelback is also a rock band? <laughs> no, and this is this is something. <laughs> this is something I've talked. Look at about. this crap. <laughs> this is something I've talked about with Beam a bunch, and you know, I think I've talked to about it with you a bunch too, Mike, is this whole conversation about rock and roll dying. And a lot of times it does feel that way because of what you just talked about with how, if you look at like what's in the mainstream, there's, there's no rock and roll bands anymore. You know, not since the nineties when you had like a lot of Foo Fighters in the conversation and third eye blind and etc where they were actually like charting and they were in the relevant conversation. I feel like rock and roll's never going to die, but now it just exists in these little pockets where you know, people hang on to bands like Every Time I Die or you know, Dogleg came out with a great album. Bands like that so good. they won't let rock and roll die, but I'm not sure if it's ever going to exist in the public consciousness in the same way that it did. There there are bands that may have a one-off album, but there's very rarely ones that are just constantly doing it. And to have someone, to have a band like Every Time I Die that started in, fuck, the late, late 90s. Yeah, Band Pop Bidding War was 99. That have continued to now and are coming out with an album soon. I, yeah, yeah you, so you can't ask for much more. Yeah, it doesn't like necessarily need to chart because things that chart do are a lot of flash, flash in the pan too, and I'm sure they're charting in their own way. But have you um, seen this like, photograph? Like you said, <laughs> <laughs> but dude, they were like in the Forbes list every time I die for being like a successful like. Wait, shit, guess, really? Yeah, I think they they were like listed on the Forbes list. I'm on good for them. I just no. want them to make a goddamn living as like such Which a successful band on their own. You'll see them show up in vans. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Every that, time, every, yeah, Forbes.com, every time I die, prove perseverance. Yeah. That, that's ultimately point. My, my point is that bands like Every Time I Die 
and the bands that they eventually influence, while they might not be in the public consciousness and conversation in the same way that rock bands of a different era might have been. And Deftones. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off with your Deftones. Uh, I'm sorry, but I think Ohms, the, the, the new song, they... Wait, hold on, Mike. What do you, what are your thoughts? Do you, do you like Deftones? I'm this, this a big part fan of, of, like... This part will probably be cut out, and, but... Uh, I, I love it. I mean, when early Deftones, yeah, I didn't follow up and stay a fan, but... Listen, listen, yeah. listen to Diamond Eyes. Listen to, uh, listen to some of the later stuff. I'm just saying... You're always pushing your Deftones shit. <laughs> that one time where I was drunk coming back from Back Bar. Yeah, totally. That's mainly because I was also passing out while we were playing the songs, but anyway. Um... Yeah, so before we wrap up here, uh, I do want to give some quick shout-outs to songs that perhaps didn't appear on our list because, you know, I know in, in, in going through this, I had a couple songs that I could not include because they didn't necessarily fit all of the criteria that we had laid out but are still absolutely excellent songs. So right before we leave, I just want to pick out, you know, do you have a favorite lyric? Just regardless of the criteria we laid out, something from a song that we maybe didn't talk about yet? Are you asking me? I'm asking anyone. In uh, <clears throat> in rehab, mm. on uh, Big Dirty, that's, that's, I've, that would be probably one I would throw out for an honorable mention. When every road is empty as every promise is, then point taken say amen oh and that's that's the song that starts off like i tied the devil yeah the tracks. that's, that's like, a yeah, fun ass fucking song too yeah <laughs> great that's a great pick uh Beam, what do you got anything yeah it's probably not one that would be obvious to others but for some reason this one always stuck with me it's from uh typical miracle off x lives you can't fuck when your friends are around but my slow dre- death drew a crowd for some reason where it just seems like, oh, whoa, 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 wait, I can't do this, but you guys are going to watch this. It's funny, it's clever, it's witty, but it also kind of speaks to a truth of just like what people can be attached to. That's definitely a good one for sure. All right, Corey. So mine is a lyric that I know Mike loves because he's the one who really brought attention to this song and this lyric for me. Um, it's the closing line from imitation is the sincerest form of battery <laughs> where he says it is better to destroy than to create what is meaningless. So the picture will not be finished. Good night. And I'm not sure. Actually, no, I, I was surprised I, it wasn't on your list of songs because that's it's well, I, like I said, I couldn't find a breakdown to go with it. Yeah. But that song is my favorite. And I was going to no. say, I'm not sure, but I actually am sure there is not a better lyric to close a record. Just it's a drop the mic moment, which I almost feels like he does. (laughs) Good night. That is that's one of my all time favorites. I also fucked up the the lyric I said is from Wanderlust on uh, (laughs) New Junk. There he is. Well, we didn't correct you, so it's all good. Um, Yeah, and I fucked up the lyric too. On it's. if ever, if, and now the road is empty as every promise is. If life is pointless, then point taken, say amen. 
Oh, dude. Yeah, no. I, I so know exactly what you're talking candle, about. So light another put candle, my put my body out to sea. Because your heart, heart is no place for a wretch like me. Wretch like me. Yeah, man. Some fan I am. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, you didn't have as much of an opportunity to prepare, prepare as we do, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, we kind of threw this at you. Do we have the best riff? Because I actually think we already talked about the best riff. Okay, so oddly enough, you might be thinking map change, right? I'm absolutely thinking map change. Okay, so I was going to say that. It's a Bolarama. The reason why a Bolarama, it's just so fucking iconic. It is literally one of the most iconic riffs in in, in Every Time I Die. And when you're sitting there at a show, like you'll hear map change and yeah, you're going to get super excited and the crowd might get super stoked about it. But when a Bolderama, that riff comes off, it was like, like it just starts off that way. Everyone has a collective. Yes. Like it's just, you're ready for the moment. Like anything that you want to throw out? Take down and werewolf. Ooh. Yep. Dude, I thought of that too. Yeah. So sick. Dude, it, yeah, it, like it's 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 a poppy song too, though, for yeah, them. It's, in one a of the, way. it's one of the hits, but But it's so. the one they want like, alright, we're gonna get the fuck on stage, let's dance. Like it's it's yeah. so good. It's a really good riff. Breakdown. Mike, Mike, I'm going I'm going to you no, number one on this. Do you have a breakdown? I'm curious if we're all on this on the same. Oh, page. that's the one I, I thought I kind of mixed my riff with my breakdown in Werewolf. Oh, okay. Oh. That that shit just gets me so pumped. And then I think map changed the Hell is not a myth. Right? Corey. Yeah. Do we have the same one? I think we might. I, I don't, don't know, know if we do. Um, I so, think I, I changed mine literally today. So mine is, I think the best breakdown they've ever done is from floater. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I think we did. It's the one at the end where he goes, yep. drag the lake. Yep. You'll find it full of love. It's only 15 seconds on the yeah. record. And it doesn't really seem all that special, but if you've ever seen Every Time I Die Live, live and if you've ever seen them do the floater breakdown live, you know... Everyone gathers. Everyone it's gathers. People lose, yeah. And... Right, get I, ready, folks. I, I, I want to tell a quick story. The first or second time I saw them, I can't remember... It's if a, it was the I first think it's or the second. first, I remember this story. But we went to Saratoga Winners, one of our favorite venues in our local area, and we saw them play. Burned down for tax reasons, RIP. And when, when they were about to go into that breakdown, Jordan, or sorry, uh, Keith starts talking as he normally does, like, you know, you, you guys better fucking bring it for this breakdown. And at that moment, people brought it. 20 to 30 people really brought it and they brought it on stage and right before everyone got to keith he just said into the mic oh shit (laughs) and everybody (laughs) fucking does a pile on on stage and everyone's screaming into the mic together and it's it's just such an epic breakdown and if you haven't seen it live like you need to before you die that that's a that's a thing to do before you die is see floater it's because it has a fucking build-up to it because it's like it's like you know they're hitting the symbols like all right give me your time we're in the bathroom get out like you're you're coming here and yeah it's just it does the same thing we talked about before where they play it once and then they slow it down and play it again. And that's slowing down. But the lyrics too that are happening with it, 
they're super dark. Drag the lake, you'll find it full of love. It's one of those things where it hits you hard because it's like, oh, that's dark, but fuck me, that's kind of spot on. Yeah. And, you know, in whatever way you want to look at it. Yeah, I, 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 it was between this and Hit of the Search Party for me, where it's everyone on the dance floor is doomed, where it's like, dun, 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 like, you know, kind of that classic. Yeah. But then I'm just kind of going back and forth in my head. I'm like, what's the one that truly gets me out of my, you know, it, you know, I was trying to stray away from what's the popular one. And the one that I thought I was like, Corey's probably going to go for this one. But who am I to deny a good time? Like it's floater is the one that's just sometimes you just can't deny it. And it's the same thing that we said about the riff and map change and the riff and Bolorama. Like the, the breakdown in floater is just so fucking epic. There's it, there's a reason. And Feels if communal. you, if you look at their, uh, set list.fm, their number one played song live is floater more than a Bolorama. More than any of the really hits. a bolorama, yeah, more than a bolorama. Because I feel like a bolorama is like when we've reached like the peak of everything, almost in a way. Yeah, but they they still to this day like almost every set closes with floater. Like, closes? Yeah. Huh. If you look at their setlist.fm, they still always close with floater, and I think there's good reason for that because I don't know if there's a better way to close a set than with that breakdown. It you leave it with such like. Oh man, that was a fucking good time. Well, imagine if like they close every show with the imitation of the sincerest form of battery. Like that, that too. Like if you were just doing that and you just did drop the with mic, that'd be weird. Mic drop. Yeah. Too spot on. It's not. It's a little on the nose, I guess. But yeah, I, it's floater is when you hear that song live. <laughs> I don't know. I almost thought about it in the way we were talking about a friend of ours. Uh, bachelor party where we heard tiny dancer going on at a karaoke bar and it was that come together moment like a mighty duck scene where we just all came arm in arm it just feels like when i start hearing you know the symbols going on and that and you just know the breakdown's coming i'm about to jump on your head but yeah it's uh please don't that's the that's the that and uh no son of mine are the two live songs where i need to make sure that i have my arms up <laughs> that's it that's all you got and get ready get ready and get ready for what's to come <laughs> all right uh i think it's about time to get out of here mikey anything to plug before we do i, don't know. I appreciate you are you, you, you talking about my band you... <laughs> every time i brought it up i was like damn man i did that again <laughs> there's nothing else we're in a pandemic i got the band and i got my dog so <laughs> To plug uh, Rugged Paw, my wife's company. It's a dog, dog. Uh, Jesus, I'm, my brain is so fried. Yeah, Rugged Paw, her pet care line, uh, pretty excellent. <laughs> I, I don't use it myself, but I did just get a puppy. So, thinking about it, I have a cat, well, and I live package. in New York. So, I'm sorry, you send a care package? That that's something that happens. Yeah, we'll do that. It's good for cats too. I know my friend used it on their cat, and I was having a bad allergic reaction on their skin. And uh, do you guys have a name for the new record? Do you know when it's going to be available? It's going to be, um, we're probably going to start releasing early 2021. Yes. Early, like probably January, we're going to start. uh, When all the good things uh, are supposed to happen. Yeah. Hopefully Jesus. But yeah, it's going to be called hell to pay. Which goes well with all the, uh, 
I like how you just said Jesus, and yeah, it's called hell to pay. (laughs) Fitting. Awesome. So we'll look forward to hearing that from you guys in 2021. Uh, It's called hell to pay. I imagine it'll be all up on those streaming platforms. Um, Thanks for joining us, Mike. Really appreciate that, dude. Yeah, dude. I had a great time. Thank you so much for your time. I know we, I mean, we're rambling on about every time I die. I knew this wasn't going to last you know a short (laughs) amount of time because it's there's just so much to talk about this band yeah for sure so thanks for joining us mike thanks for listening we really appreciate it and uh, honestly we also too want to hear everyone else's top five i i kind of want to see what everyone else can pick out of this enormous catalog that everyone has or that i'm sorry that every time i die has agreed so you know share it with us on our website on our social media stuff um And we really appreciate you listening. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Bye.